And James chapter 1 is on page 854 in the Red Pew Bibles. So starting at verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would enable us to be listeners and by your spirit that we would be those who put into practice what we listen to and what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I wonder if you might just put down whatever it is you're, uh, you have in your hands at the moment, whatever it is you're reading, any books or magazines, and uh, just look at me for a few minutes and uh, at least pretend that you're listening to what I'm saying. And that way I'll feel a whole lot better about the job that I do. Now, these were the words spoken by the airline stewardess as she was introducing the regulations and emergency procedures of the flight which was about to take off. She captured my attention. In fact, so much so that I, I, as she was going through the regulations, I pulled out a notepad and I started taking notes of what she was saying. I remember what she said uh, about the exit rows. After she had showed us where the exit rows are, she said, look, uh, if we do actually have an emergency landing and you can't remember what I've just said, uh, just follow me. Uh, she said, because I've got to tell you, if this bird goes down, I'm going to be the first one out of here. <laughs> and then uh, she told us, this is a non-smoking flight, but look, if you, seriously, if you really do need to light up, you can do so outside. She <laughs> said, there's a great movie showing on the wing, it's called Gone with the Wind. And uh, I tell you, I, you, you want to know what airline that was, don't you? Yeah. It wasn't Qantas. <laughs> it, was a, it was US Airways from Las Vegas to Vancouver. Everyone's always sad when they're leaving Las Vegas. You know, they're always down in the dumps, so they've got to cheer them up somehow. 
Um, but it was a rebuke. I wasn't in Las Vegas doing uh, gambling. Uh, it was a rebuke to me because I thought to myself, how many times has a, has a flight attendant been presenting this really important information and I've just sat there reading my in-flight magazine? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, or, or the times when I, I have actually looked up at the flight attendant and but I haven't really been listening. I've been thinking about, well, how long is it before they bring the coffee around, you know? You know, mind you, spicing up the presentation with a few good jokes doesn't go astray. It's helpful. But I think it's true that, you know, there's times when we've all got a problem with listening, don't we? Um, you and I both. Uh, we've, we've got a problem not just in airplanes, but sometimes it's, you know, listening to one another. And, um, and more than that, sometimes we've, we've got a problem when it comes to listening to God. Uh, we don't always listen well to one another, do we? And uh, we don't always listen to God. And when we do listen to God, uh, there's so many times when we're just not listening to God with the right spirit, with the right attitude. In the book of James, which would be helpful to have open in front of you, uh, this is one of the big topics, the, as we'll see later on in chapter 3, really talks a lot about the tongue and taming the tongue and so on, but this issue of speaking and listening, it's, it's a big topic that uh, is fleshed out throughout the book of James, but in today's passage in the second half of chapter 1, uh, James puts it on the agenda. Uh, he raises it to our minds for our thinking. Um, if you're looking at the passage there in James chapter 1, you'll notice that the NIV starts this whole section in, in verse 19, and they've got a little subtitle there, don't they? It's called Listening and Doing. I reckon, though, that it's really helpful to put this into context, and it's good to uh, look at it in the context of verse 18, the verse just before, because in verse 18, we are reminded that God has spoken. Let's have a read of verse 18, uh, where he says, talking about God, he says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, we spoke a bit about that last week, but it's interesting, isn't it, that he talks about uh, what God has done. What has God given us? He has given us... He's given us birth, hasn't he? And how has he given us birth? He's given us birth through the word of truth, which is the scriptures. James believes in the scriptures. In fact, throughout James, he uh, refers to uh, the Old Testament uh, and particularly characters in the Old Testament. So he talks about Abraham and Isaac. He talks about Rahab. Uh, he uh, talks about um, Job. He talks about in the last chapter, Elijah and so on. So it's threaded throughout the book of James is the Old Testament. But we know that the word of truth that uh, brings us birth finds its, its real climax, its central point in the, the great announcement. The great announcement about Jesus. The great announcement that Jesus, by his death and resurrection has made it possible for us to be reborn, our sins to be forgiven, and for us to have a new life. And so 
that's the great announcement. That's the word of truth. And in, in verse 21, if you care just to go down to that, uh, what has God done to us with respect to that word of truth? He has, he's implanted it, hasn't he? He's implanted it in us. Now, that's, that's kind of the context here. But if we have a look at verses 19 through to 21, uh, if we are people who have been connected to God through this word of truth, then what we, what's raised for us here is that that's actually going to uh, affect the way that we relate to one another in terms of our listening to one another and our response to one another. So uh, in James 20, in verse 20 rather, uh, James says, here's something which is worth noting. Right? This is something to jot down on your notepad. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Have you noticed that the great talker is not always the best listener? You notice that? I think it's true, isn't it? I tend to talk a lot. I realise that. The great talker is not always the best listener. And that's a problem because when we don't listen to each other, then we misunderstand issues. We don't understand the other person and we arrive at wrong conclusions. I like to try to adopt what I call the Mickey Mouse approach to important conversations. Remember Mickey? What do you notice about Mickey? He's got big ears, hasn't he? And he's got a very sensitive nose. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of attitude that we ought to have in our conversations because too often we, we just jump in with our conclusions and our opinions, don't we? When what is really needed is for us to to listen, uh, to, uh, to gain the knowledge, to sniff out what are the real issues here before we respond. And that's particularly true, I'll raise this issue, when we find ourselves in a situation when we're listening to criticisms, someone's making criticisms of another person. Now, we all know what those kind of conversations, don't we? Um, and it's... Um, so often the case that on the basis of hearing that criticism that we form an opinion in our head and then we can even then become angry and uh, we persuade ourselves that our anger is righteous anger when we've actually become angry without listening well enough. We haven't, for example, listened to the other side of the story and that's led us to form our opinions, it's led us to being angry. And James says here that this is actually not, this does not bring about, the, in verse 20, the righteous life that God desires. Because it's, it's unwise, it breaks relationships, and it leads to, you know, for, some of, for most of us, I think that we'd probably have to admit that we haven't arrived at the point of holiness in our lives that m when most of our anger is righteous anger. Would you agree with that? We probably haven't got there quite yet. So 
the, um, what we need to be doing is we need to be cultivating the practice of listening to others. And that actually kind of goes hand in hand with our listening to God. Because think about it this way. The person who is, uh, who is slow to listen and is quick to speak and is quick to become enraged, well, they're not likely to be the kind of person, person who patiently and regularly uh, reads God's word and prayerfully considers areas of their life where they need to repent uh, because they're not a person who listens. Listening requires humility, doesn't it? It requires that spirit which uh, we see in verse 21 uh, where James says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. So what he's saying there is acknowledge that we have been affected by values and attitudes that are of this world. Acknowledge that uh, and uproot those from our lives. Get rid of them. Um, clear them out. And then he says, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, I reckon that that last sentence, humbly accept the word implanted in you, that's probably, possibly, one, possibly one of the most important sentences in the whole of the book of James. Because everything else that James says really flows from that. It flows from this humble acceptance of the word which has been planted in us. It's one of the key verses of the whole book. Um, Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 talks about the person whom God esteems. And uh, you remember who that person is? The person whom God esteems is the person who is, who is humble. And the person who is humble is the person who is contrite in their heart and who trembles at God's word. That's what humility is. Contrite in heart and trembles at God's word. By the way, trembling at God's word means, doesn't mean that you, just, you can't ask questions about God's word. It doesn't mean that you can't struggle with God's word and wrestle with God's word and dig deeper into God's word. And in fact, we should be doing that. Uh, what it does mean, though, is that we don't put ourselves above God's word as if God's word is submissive to us, what we do is we put ourselves below God's word so that God's word is, is what's ruling our lives. And that's a different thing. <clears throat> because when we do that, we've come to the point where we acknowledge that we stop being boss over our lives. And we acknowledge that God is now the boss over our lives. And when we stop being the boss over our lives, we might stop trying to be the boss over other people's lives as well. And we might actually uh, relate to people in a way that is different. Uh, we might actually listen to people, recognise that they have wisdom, and we might actually learn from them before we respond. So that even the most opinionated 
loud-mouthed hothead can, under God, change to become a humble listener who, when he or she speaks, actually speaks words that are helpful to the other person, words of wisdom. Think about um, your own experience. Um, Most of us will know of someone at least, or maybe more than than just one person, uh, who we've known in our lives who we would consider to be a, a very, very wise person. Think about the wise people that you know. As I do that, I I think, well, what what is it about them that makes me think that they're wise? Um, And in my experience, they tend to be patient listeners. Uh, They don't make hasty judgments. They, They apply God's word to situations. And here's the clincher. Their words actually match their behaviour, their lives. That's really the key, isn't it? It's the key is that they put into practice what they say from God's word. Because in verses 22 to 25, and we'll look at those verses now, James stresses that listening to God's word is simply not enough. There's no point in listening to God's word unless we also do God's word. I wonder, have you ever found yourself in a conversation, as I have, <clears throat> where you're, you're talking to someone and when the other person's talking, you listen and you engage, but when you start talking, they go into screensaver mode? And not because you've been rambling on and on and on for 20 minutes and not letting them get a word in edgeways, but because they're actually not all that interested in you. Ever found that? Yeah. Well, they're just looking over your shoulder all the time (laughs) as you're talking. You know, uh, when you're reading the Bible and um, you're physically reading the Bible, the Bible's open in front of you, you're reading through it and physically but but mentally you're you're just in a different place altogether. That happens, doesn't it? It happens to me at different times. And when I notice myself doing that, what I do is I, I just stop reading because there's no point in reading physically and then being able to tick the box at the end of that on my Bible reading thing and say, yep, I've read that passage. There's no point in doing that if, if I'm not actually listening to it. So I stop reading, I refocus, and then I start again but from where I began in the first place. The more common problem that we have is that we do concentrate when we're reading or we're listening to God's word. We concentrate, but yet the knowledge just stays in our heads. And we can can deceive ourselves, can't we? We can deceive ourselves into thinking that because I've had my quiet time, because I've been to Bible study group, because I've listened to a sermon, then... You know, I've done the, uh, the righteous thing. Now, these things are great to do. By the way, I'm very glad that you're here and listening to... Are anyone dozing off to sleep at the moment? Um, <laughs> not now, after I've said that. Uh, very glad that you're here today. Uh, and these are the things which we need to do. But unless the knowledge is translated from the head down into the heart and out into our actions, 
then it's worthless knowledge. It's not worth tuppence, as they say. In verses 22 to 25, James says there are two types of people who listen to God's word. One of them is deceived and the other one is blessed. Let's have a look at those two types of people, shall we? Check out the first person in verse 22. There he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. Sometimes in the morning, I look myself in the mirror and I want to forget what I look like. <laughs> Seriously. I said, no. But the mirror here is God's word, isn't it? What does this man do as he's being exposed to God's word? Well, he looks, he goes away, he forgets, and so he deceives himself into thinking that he's done the right thing. What about the second man? Verse 25. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So what does this man do? He looks, he perseveres, he acts and so therefore he's blessed. Big difference, isn't there? How might this work? Well, let's say you're reading the word of God and it raises an issue of godliness. An issue of godliness comes up. Now, there's a few issues of godliness that are raised in this passage. How about we have a look at one of them in verse 26. Um, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue... He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, I could unpack that verse. Uh, I could um, uh, say that this is a very interesting verse and we could explore what the meaning of the word religion is in that verse. Uh, I could highlight the connection about being deceived here with the being deceived in verse 22 and that would all be very good and even possibly interesting but the meaning of this verse is obvious, isn't it? It's clear what the verse is saying. Yet, having listened to it, any one of us could, um, could go away from here today and find ourselves in a, in a situation of temptation where we're tempted to speak an unkind word about another person. Or we're tempted to, uh, to speak harshly or to uh, speak um, in, an, uh, in, a, in a really ungodly way to somebody. That's a real possibility, isn't it? We could listen to what that verse has said, walk out of this building, walk to morning tea, and we could be put in a situation of temptation. So... How do we respond to that? Well, the message here is let's not be people who look at ourselves in the mirror 
and then walk away and forget what we look like. You know, we can so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that we've done the religious bit just by hearing God's word. We have to obey it too. Like what we see in verse 27, where James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How about that? There's a couple of areas. Caring for orphans and widows. Now, that's a picture, isn't it, of the person whose heart has been changed. Um, because it involves caring for the vulnerable. It involves caring for people who can't do things for themselves. It involves caring for people who actually it's not within their capacity to repay you. It involves caring for people. It involves simply caring, doesn't it? Caring for others, uh, just like God has cared for us. Remember back in verse 18 that he chose us, didn't he? Did we deserve to be chosen? Was there anything good about us? Could we have helped ourselves out of our state of sin and, and judgment? No. God has helped the vulnerable. He's helped us. And so it's a reflection of that word being implanted in us that we'll actually want to care for people, not just care for the rich and the successful and the people who can give us things back or make us feel good about ourselves, but to care for the lowly person. Sometimes on Sundays we have people coming here needing food or needing some help. And, uh, you know, sometimes it might be easy for us to think, I'll just hope that someone else will care for that person. Well, you know what? I'm always encouraged when I see congregation members actually going and sitting with that person, talking to them afterwards and thinking, how can we help this person in their vulnerability? That's the kind of religion that God our Father, our Father, accepts. That's what he esteems. What about um, pollution? Because James also says that we must keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Um, think about this way. If it was only the big decisions in life or the, the big pitfalls that could cause us to walk away from the Lord, then in one sense, although we've got to be absolutely mindful of those big pitfalls, those big decisions, but in one sense, being godly might actually be a bit easier if it was only the big issues that could draw us away from the Lord. But pollution is not like that. You know, unless we're talking about some massive oil disaster like the Exxon Valdez or the, that big disaster they had in the Gulf of Mexico where there's been a financial settlement this week and so on. Unless it's a big disaster like that, pollution, it usually happens very gradually in very small amounts, almost incrementally unnoticeable until it's actually happened. 
Temptation is like that. It's often the, the steady drip of the day-to-day -day values of our fallen culture that can end up polluting our hearts. Uh, we may not fall into the very big traps, but if we are not people who keep on listening to God's word and listening to God's word again and again and again and thinking it through and then actually putting it into practice in our lives in terms of the way we treat people, in terms of our priorities and so on, if we're not doing that, then guess what? We end up with polluted hearts. We can end up with a, a lifestyle that is actually not all that much different from the world around us. We can end up living in a way that's not discernibly different from, say, you know, a relatively moral non-Christian, someone who doesn't know Christ. And that's the danger. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be like the person who looks at the flight attendant but is actually thinking about the coffee. We don't have to be like the man who looks at himself in the mirror and goes away and forgets what he looks like. Because if we go back to verse 25, what happens to the man who listens, who keeps listening, that is he perseveres and he obeys, He's not deceived, is he? Rather, he is blessed. Why is he blessed? What's the nature of this blessing? He's blessed because the perfect law, we're told, the word of God gives him freedom. 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 Now, some people will say, obeying God, that's freedom? You've got to be kidding You've got to be joking. How could any intelligent, reasonable 21st century person believe that believing God and his word actually, that's, that oppresses you. That's about tyranny. That's about being constrained. That's about being restricted. That's about not having independence. Freedom, they say, that's independence. It's got to do with being independent, it's got to do with being able to live my life, my way, the way that I want to do it, without these constrictions that God might place upon me. But friends, independence, that's not freedom. Would you describe a train as being independent when it breaks free, free from the restrictions of the track? Of course not. Freedom... That is, true freedom is found when we have the opportunity and the ability to live according to who we truly are. And who are we? We are creatures who have been made in the image of God. We are sinners who in verse 19 and verse 18 have been given birth through the word of truth, through the gospel, the great announcement of Jesus who died for us and rose again. That is true freedom. Obeying God's word is hard. It is always hard to listen and obey because obeying God's word goes against the grain of our hearts, it goes against the grain of our culture, our world. But when we listen and obey, 
then we are living the way that we were always meant to live. And we're living for the very reason for which Jesus died. Living on track, truly free, truly blessed in all that we do. So what's the message here, friends? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Let's not just be listeners to the word of God. Let's also be doers of the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we want to thank you that you have revealed your will to us so clearly in your word that is the word of truth. We thank you, Father God, that through the gospel and through your spirit that you have implanted that word in our hearts. We pray, Father God, that we would be people who see the big picture that we realise that the very purpose for which we've been created is to live for you, to live according to your ways. And so help us, Father, by your spirit to not just be people who listen to your word, but to be people who understand it and have the conviction, the commitment to put it into practice uh, when we meet that time of temptation. We ask these things now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.